right, well, before we get started, I just want to say uh, my wife and I and the baby had the, the privilege or the blessing to go visit my family in South Carolina for a couple of weeks. Um, but we are back now, and we really missed you guys. And uh, it, was, it was good for me because I, it was really settled in my heart while I was there that this is my home and this is where God would have me to be. Um, yeah. And uh, especially when I got here, as we were driving back into Napa, Oakland, not so much. As we were going through there, I was like, oh. And then as we got into Napa, I was like, okay, yeah, it's good to be home. It was nice to come uh, back to our, our house and everything. So, you know, we love you guys, and it's, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We're going to take a break from Mark for just this one week. Um, kind of a little bit of a Thanksgiving message, if you will. This is still a, uh, a verse-by-verse study. It's not a topical. And um, my, I was kind of thinking along the lines of something having to do with, with Thanksgiving, obviously. But you're not even going to find that word in this text. But it is certainly inferred. Uh, you will see that uh, gratitude is, is embedded deeply within this. And so I've titled this Love and Gratitude. Love and Gratitude. This is one of my favorite texts in the, in the Gospels. Um, and I, I trust that we're all going to be blessed today as we, we see our Lord and uh, how, he, how He loves and so on and so forth. So with that, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll dig in. Lord, we love You, and we truly are a people who have a lot to be thankful for. You've been so very good to us. Um, you saved us. God, You've given us eternal life. And uh, you, you continue to um, be so very patient with us. You love us. You guide us. You teach us. Uh, you forgive us continuously. And, and we, we thank You for that, Lord. And... Uh, all the more we, we fall in love with You as time goes on. Uh, and we are a people who are very grateful. And so today we, uh, we're, gonna, we're celebrating that. We're taking time to focus especially upon that. Uh, so I pray that You would be glorified. I pray that Your Spirit... I know that Your Spirit is here moving uh, among us, Lord. And I just ask that uh, we would be encouraged, that we would be instructed by You from Your Word and that we would uh, be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you guys know this is the time of year that we really celebrate Thanksgiving, and, and we try to be very intentional about considering the things that we are grateful for, and it's good to do that. There is a lot to be grateful for, but as a Christian, every day is Thanksgiving. Every day we are to be people marked by gratitude, because we have something absolutely to be thankful for, and that's eternal life, that's forgiveness, that's a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And that in and of itself should be something that has us in a continual state of joy. Not necessarily happiness, happiness comes and goes. It's an emotion, it's up, it's down, we're not always going to be happy, but we can have joy, that is a fixed deal, that doesn't change because of who we are and whose we are, because we belong to the Lord. So today we're going to be looking at a text in Luke where we see a, a woman who is referred to as a sinner. She encounters Jesus, 
And Jesus is so very gentle on the way that he receives her. And uh, there's going to be some interaction with a Pharisee named Simon. And we're going to see how the, the Pharisee treats her or sees her. Uh, but ultimately, we're going to see her response to Jesus. We're going to see her response as Jesus loves her and embraces her. And then ultimately, what we see is a deep love for Christ and a gratitude which abounds because of that. Uh, and that should be true of all of us who have named the name of Christ. So let's look at this, uh, verse 36. I would read the whole text, but it's rather lengthy, so we'll just kind of go portions at a time, and, and you should be able to, uh, to kind of get the idea as we go. Verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, speaking of Jesus, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. So first off, we see that we are at a Pharisee's house and they're having dinner. Jesus has been invited there. It doesn't appear that this Pharisee, Simon, is sympathetic to Jesus. Uh, it could be that he just is looking for an opportunity to trap Jesus or accuse him of something as they so often were. And as odd as this might seem, it was not uncommon for spectators or onlookers to be present at dinners like this uh, with dignitaries and they would be watching and observing. I think that's kind of odd, but that's just kind of how it was. Uh, it would have been extremely uncommon for a woman of this reputation to be there. A woman who was a sinner. That, that would not happen. Uh, and we see Simon's response a little later, but when it says that she's a sinner, most likely that means that she had been involved in, in prostitution or something of the sort. Let me just say, um, some people think this is Mary Magdalene, but there's no reason to, to think that. And this is not the same account that we find later in John 12 where Mary, Lazarus' brother or sister, um, anoints Jesus' feet with fragrant oil. Not the same text. So we don't know who this woman is. She's not named. Um, but all we know is that she was, uh, had the reputation of a sinner. And it says that she had an alabaster flask of fragrant oil that she poured out on Jesus' feet. And she began to wash His feet and wipe them with the hairs of her head. This would have probably been a, a very expensive item that she broke and poured out on his feet. Uh, we, we think it was probably about a year's wage is what that would have costed. And uh, what that would have cost. And that was um, costly devotion, wouldn't you say? Costly worship. I love that. Uh, I don't want to give the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. That's from the Bible. Did you know that? I'm sure you guys have heard me say that before. There was a guy in the Old Testament. Uh, he had a piece of land. David wanted to purchase it from him so that he could build um, a, an altar to sacrifice to the Lord. The guy just wanted to give it to David. He said, here, take this land. You can have it. And David said, no, I will buy it at a price. I'm not going to give the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. And so this woman, when she came to Jesus, when she came in brokenness, and repentance, and that's what's happening here. She's not a good person and she knows that about herself. She doesn't need anyone to tell her that 
She doesn't need people glaring at her and looking down at her. She knows this. She's in tears. She's weeping. She's at Jesus' feet. And she brings such a costly gift to offer to the Lord. And every time I think of that, I ask myself the question, is that how I worship the Lord? Do I bring anything of worth to God? Does it cost me anything? Is my worship cheap? Do I just give Him the leftovers? Uh, Do I give Him anything at all? Uh, We see that this woman was uh, very broken. She was very desperate. She was hurting. And she brought something so valuable to the Lord. I mean, this is something that would have been like an heirloom passed down uh, through the generations. And once you broke it, it was gone. It was, that was it. One use, that's it. And she poured it out on Jesus' feet. Something that I find interesting, it says that she was standing behind His feet. How, how, how would that, that be? Um, I think most of us have seen the picture of the Last Supper, right? We've seen that. Jesus is at the table and they're all standing on the left and right side of Him. That's not an accurate picture. They would have been low to the ground. They would have had a a tabletop that sat low to the floor and they would actually be probably propped up on their left side with their feet out behind them. If the crowd was big enough, they might be sitting at something called a triclinium, which is the same idea, but it's basically a U-shaped table. And so they would have been laying on the ground and she would have come in and been basically standing at his feet as he's laying there and she's weeping and then she just drops down and starts to wash his feet and and anoint his feet with oil and kind of gives you a better idea of what that would have looked like, kind of brings that scene to life. So verse 39, now we're going to see how uh, Simon the Pharisee responds to this. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So this was the attitude of the Pharisees toward, toward people that uh, they despised or considered to be terrible people or wicked or sinners. Uh, disdain. That's what he, he had for this woman. And it's been said that uh, these religious leaders of that day, as they would walk through crowds of people, that they would pull their robes close to themselves so that they wouldn't accidentally touch somebody and then become unclean. I mean, that's how they saw people. Uh, there was no compassion. There was no mercy. There was no broken heart. Uh, it, was, it was disdain. That's what they had. But Jesus was not that way. Jesus flew in the face of that. Jesus ate with sinners. That, that was uh, an offense to these religious leaders to think that Jesus would sit down and share a meal with sinners. That was one of the most intimate things that you could do. To sit down with someone and break bread and what you're taking in, I'm taking in. In a sense, we're one in that moment, that time of fellowship and communion, if you will, even, and the Pharisees were disgusted by that. And we would see that they would often come against Jesus and ridicule Him for this. But that was our Lord. He loved people. He loved anyone. He wanted to be close to the hurting and the brokenhearted. He didn't look down on people. The only people that He really got tough with were the hypocrites, the religious leaders of that day. Those were the people that you saw Jesus sharply rebuke. But He loved Sinners. He loved people that were hurting and broken. All right. And Jesus even touched lepers. You know, um, those people would have rocks thrown at them if they got close enough. And they 
spent their life isolated, living in leper colonies. If people got close to them, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. They probably had not been touched in years at, at, in certain cases, but Jesus would embrace them and Jesus would heal them. And that was our Lord. So we see the desperation of this woman that she would be willing to come into a situation like this where she knew she was going to be ridiculed. She's coming into a Pharisee's house. That would never happen. That shows you how desperate she was and how she wanted to get close to Jesus. But that also shows me the approachability of Christ. You could come to Jesus and He would accept you. He would receive you to Himself. didn't matter who you were. didn't matter your reputation. didn't matter what you had done. That's our Lord. That is the love. That's the grace. That's the mercy of Jesus. And that, my friends, is available to anyone and everyone in this room today. If you don't know the Lord, you can know Him. All right, He's here. His arms are wide open and He's calling you to Himself. He loves you. doesn't matter your past. doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you. He accepts you. He, he wants you to come to Him. He wants to do a special work in your life. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you whole. He wants to have a relationship with you and give you eternal life with Him. And that is beautiful. That's something to be thankful for, is it not? Alright, verse 40. Now, notice that this guy was thinking to himself, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is touching and he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't have anything to do with this. So, he's questioning Jesus in his mind. And Jesus is going to answer this and, and listen. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Well, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them do you think will love more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. So Jesus is speaking to something that Simon was thinking. So Simon was sitting here arguing, questioning whether Jesus is really a prophet, and Jesus is proving it because he's speaking to something that he was thinking about in his own mind. And then he tells a story about two people who owed a debt. One owed a debt of about two years' wage, and one owed a debt of about two months, roughly, two and a half months' wage. One was much larger than the other. They both owed the same guy. That guy forgave them both. And then Jesus asked the question, who do you think basically is going to be more grateful? Who do you think is going to love that creditor more? And the obvious answer was the one to whom more was forgiven, right? And so this is a picture that Jesus is painting of the woman and of Simon because He's going to go into that right here in verse 44. So then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil." 
So it was customary in that day to wash people's feet as they came in. This was typically the task of the lowest slave of the house, but it was customary nonetheless. It was just the way that it was. And it was, it was proper. Just like today, if we have a dinner company, and you would offer to take their coat as they came in the door. But it was far more serious than that. And so this would have been an insult to anyone. When you come into the house, when you're a special guest, you're invited, and they don't wash your feet. And we talked about this before. Pastor Bill has uh, spoken at great length about this when he taught in uh, John 13, right? We all were familiar with that story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Same scenario. It's the night before Jesus was to be crucified. He was celebrating the Passover with His disciples. And uh, we, we kind of understand from one of the Gospels that they're actually arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus just quietly gets up. He wraps Himself with a towel. He gets down and He begins to wash their feet one by one. And it's that same uh, situation, right? Like they were probably at a triclinium where they were all the way around the table and Jesus goes all the way around and washes their feet. Showing that the greatest was the servant. If you wanted to be the greatest of all, you would be the slave of all. And that was the, the, the model uh, that was given to us. So in that, we talk quite a bit about what their feet would have been like and just how gross that actually is, okay? Uh, especially in that culture, in that time, I mean, people walked everywhere. The roads were dirty, they were dusty, there were, you know, animals everywhere, use your imagination. And uh, you could imagine what people's feet would be like uh, so often. And Jesus, the Lord, washed their feet. Now, that's, that's very significant. We think that's gross, but, uh, you know, He's a servant and, you know, that's a beautiful thing. This woman was washing Jesus' feet with her hair. You understand? She wasn't using a, a towel. She was kissing His feet. She was weeping. She was pouring out fragrant oil on His feet and washing His feet with her hair. I mean, that, that kind of shows you where she was at. That tells you how she felt about Jesus. She loved Him. She wanted to be near Him. She believed that He was who He said He was. And... She knew that she needed Him. She knew that she was not a good person, that she had made many bad decisions, and that she was far from God, and she just wanted to be close to Him. She wanted to be forgiven. She wanted to be restored. And that's what Jesus wanted for her. So Jesus did not scorn her. He didn't mock her. He didn't send her away. But, but that was the condition, and that was how she came. So verse 47 Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus saw that this lady was serious. She was desperate. She, that, that was proven through the circumstances. This was not some simple pray a quick prayer, now I have fire insurance. 
and I can go on about my life and never give any thought or, or attention to the Lord. This woman was serious when she came to the Lord. She wanted Jesus. She loved Him. And uh, this was true repentance. This was true brokenness. And that's how we come to the Lord. Now, Jesus had made the point that the one who is forgiven much is going to love much. And Jesus knew that her love and her gratitude would superabound because she knew who she was and what she had done. And uh, that, that's, that's my story, guys. I am a man who has been forgiven much. And I love the Lord. And I'm so grateful for what He has done in my life and, and for the things of which I've been forgiven. And what amazes me, and I mentioned this in my prayer earlier, is that uh, it's amazing that God would forgive us in the first place. That's the grace. That's the mercy of God. That's the cross. But what's even more amazing to me is how He continues to persevere in His love for me after the fact after I start walking with Him and I continue to mess up and fall short or disobey or dishonor Him in some way or the other, and the Lord continues on in His grace and His mercy towards us. So, it's safe to say for all of us in this room who have experienced this forgiveness, for all of us, who know this love and this mercy that has been made available to us at the cross, we have been forgiven an astronomical debt. A debt that we could never, ever, ever pay. Amen? I mean, have we not? And I, I think for some of us who have been better than others, we, we have a little bit better understanding of, of what has been done for us, but... For some people who have kind of just always naturally been good, uh, you, you obeyed the rules, you know, you did your best to be a good law-abiding citizen, tax-paying citizen, and obey your parents and, and do good. The reality is, is we're all desperately wicked. The Bible teaches that. Who can even know it? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. We don't even know the half of it. No one escapes this. So whether you were good by human standards or wicked, we were all desperately wicked. And we have all been forgiven an astronomical debt. And we should live in a constant state of gratitude for Christ. Praise the Lord for the Lord. Amen? We need Him every day, all day. And what's so sad is, is that we kind of get away from that. Things become so very normal to us and we forget from where we have come. And we tend to forget about what the Lord has done for us and uh, we begin to complain. We begin to complain against the Lord because uh, maybe our expectations aren't being met or there are certain things that we want in our life and we aren't getting or you fill in the blank. So instead of thanking the Lord and letting your prayers be seasoned with gratitude and being on your face before God, you know, we're... Uh, we're not thankful. We're ungrateful. We're complaining. That's a terrible place to be. So what does gratitude look like in your life? Where do you stand in this? Would you say you look more like this woman? Or would you say that you're like Simon even? Or somewhere in the middle? What are some ways in which we could seriously show that we are grateful to the Lord? You know, I think it starts in the home, obviously, in the church. 
I mean, there are so many ways in which we are able to display a heart of gratitude. When we recognize, when we live in the reality of what Christ has done for us, and our life is shaped by that. So I'd like to just read a few other Scriptures to you guys um, in regard to, to this idea of thanksgiving, and, and we'll kind of close with that. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 12. All right. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Lord... Excuse me, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance. I was not qualified to be a child of God. I was not qualified. There was nothing I could do to qualify myself. God did that. The Father has qualified us. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So I was not qualified to be a child of God or to be in His kingdom. And God delivered us. He conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And we have been redeemed. What does that mean? It means we've been bought. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus and we have received the forgiveness of sins. But notice that at the very beginning of this verse, it says giving thanks to the Father. We thank God that He did this. Thank you God that you paid the highest price. You know, we were all separated from God. Condemned. Dead in trespass and sin. But God in His infinite mercy and grace paid the penalty that we owed. When His Son Jesus died on the cross, the death that we all deserved, God took our place. His Son took our sin upon Himself on that cross, and it was done. It was finished. It was paid for. And we were bought back. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus, and we have been given forgiveness. And we are to live in a constant state of thanksgiving. Turn to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be what? Be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The ESV translates that singing with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So we're to be thankful. We're to sing with gratitude in our hearts. 
And whatever we do, in speech or in action, we're to do all in the, uh, the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God. That kind of sums it up, does it not? We're to be thankful. We're to constantly have a heart, a spirit of gratitude. And whatever we do, we are to give thanks. We're to do it in the name of the Lord and to give thanks to God. Okay, so the Bible is clear. This should be a marker of a Christian. You know, Galatians talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control. Right? But I would say that I'm sure there are more fruits of the Spirit than just that. It's not all-inclusive. Who could deny that thankfulness is a fruit of the Spirit? It's produced in us by God the more that we realize the depth and the weight of what God has done for us. And then lastly, I'll just read this to you. Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. Verse 21. Speaking of people, Paul is making the case that um, everyone is guilty before God. No one escapes. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. And he's building the case before he comes to the grace of God. He's making sure everybody understands that we're, we're in trouble and we need a Savior before he gets to the point where he presents the Savior. And in chapter 1, he's listing out these, uh, these people who had rejected God. They knew who God was. God had revealed Himself in many different ways. And it says this, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Catch that. Nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they didn't glorify Him as God. And on top of that, they weren't thankful. They didn't thank God for the many blessings that they had received. For the graciousness that God had had upon them. The fact that He had even revealed Himself, that they knew who He was. God expects us to show appreciation. You know? God expects that. And so I don't ever want to be guilty of, um, of, of not having gratitude to God. I don't want to be guilty of that. And it, it's easy to do. Uh, so I want to keep before me constantly the reality of the cross. And, uh, and the riches that have been made available to me because of God's graciousness and mercy. And I want to be thankful always. Amen? Amen? We have a lot to be thankful for. So I'm going to close in prayer. And at this time, the worship team, if you want to come on up. Father, we love You and uh, thank You. We say thank You, God. Uh, because we realize that uh, a very high price has been paid. You gave the very best that You had to give. Father, You gave Your Son. And Jesus, You gave all that You had to give. You gave Your life so that we could be redeemed, we could be bought back, so that we could have life and have that more abundantly. No longer are we bound by the curse of sin. No longer does hell hang over us, but we have been set free. We are free to live, free to love, free to express gratitude to our Savior, to our King, to our Lord, to our friend. And so we, we thank You, Jesus, 
for all You are, for all that You've done, for all that You're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.